Matthew chapter 15. Actually, we'll begin what we read last week at verse 1 down through verse 20. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say... Whoever shall say to his father or mother anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And thus you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain they do worship me teaching his doctrines the precepts of men. And after he called the multitudes to them, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Then he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly... Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides for the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter answered and said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Last week we took a look at one of the intense confrontations that Jesus had with his, uh, with the Pharisees and the scribes, and in this incident, with both the Pharisees and the scribes. Their problem with Jesus was that he was not instructing his disciples to wa- ceremonially wash their hands before they ate. It had nothing to do, as I said, with hygiene, physical hygiene. This was a ceremonial ritual. It was not even taught in the law of God. It was a human tradition. And yet the, the Pharisees and the scribes thought upon themselves that it was so important that they would try to put Jesus in his place. And they would be critical of him. Of course, Jesus, who is God, conceived of the hearts of men. And he says to them, why do you transgress the law of God and teach as doctrines of, of men uh, as, as if they were the commandments of God. And he says, thus you have invalidated the law of God by your human traditions. And we see that um, Jesus said, fundamentally, you are so concerned about the, um, this ceremonial ritual However, you are teaching people, teaching uh, Israel, that there is a way you don't need to provide for a needy parent. All you have to do is say, well, the money or the gift that I could have helped you with, mom or dad, it's been dedicated to temple service. Sorry. And Jesus says, that's hypocrisy. He says... Actually, he says, you just violated the fifth commandment. And he says, I liken it to having cursed your parents. And if you curse your parents, you're worthy of the death penalty. You ought to die for this. That's how serious it is. And then yet you have the audacity to criticize me that I don't teach my disciples to wash their hands in some ceremonial ritual. 
Now, the reason I'm recapturing that is that it's, it's at the very heart of what Jesus is going to say in our text for the day, which is verses 15 and following. But what Jesus said here, with reference to them, was that he revealed the darkness of their hearts. And by the fact that they spoke these things of convenient ways to not provide for your parents, he says what they're saying reveals their darkened heart. And it ties in with what he says here. Jesus said, you worship God in vain. And he says that you seek to honor God with your lips. Did you ever see here? He quotes, Jesus quotes from Isaiah's prophecy there from Isaiah 29. He says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the precepts of men. So Jesus says that their worship was vain. He says they honor God, they honor Him with their lips, what they say, while all along their heart is not right with God. They teach godless doctrines. Um, Godless meaning human tradition. we, We know, as I mentioned last week, God has issues with people who try to observe His law but in external ways, but their heart's not engaged. He says it's even, if it can be even worse, he says we're not even talking about God's law. We're talking about a human tradition. And you have elevated a human tradition above the law of God. And as I mentioned last week, anytime you elevate human tradition to the same status as the Word of God, this is what always happens. The human tradition just eats up the Word of God. It takes precedence. It's what people emphasize. It's the way it's been down through the centuries. That's what happens. The Word of God is systematically denied. And that's the tyranny of human traditions. That's the tyranny anytime decisions are made that are not consistent with the Word of God, problems will emerge. So Jesus said that what the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching the people was hypocrisy. Not that Isaiah prophesied that day in particular, but he says Isaiah's issue is what they are manifesting. Hearts that are not right with God, who then speak out of a heart that's not right with God. And he said, these men, these supposed guides, remember the Pharisees and the scribes, they were the teachers of law. They are the experts in the law of God. They're supposed to teach the people uh, what the word of God actually says. So the leaders are found deficient. And he says the leaders, the the so-called spiritual leaders, what they ought to be, he says they're actually blind guides, leading blind men. He says you have a blind man leading a blind man, what's going to happen? They're going to both fall into the pit. And he says, the best thing you can do with regard to these men, Jesus saw the darkness of their heart. He says, just leave them alone. Just leave them alone. Had nothing to do with them. And so in this regard, we learn from verses 10 and 11 that Jesus called the multitude to himself and then said to the multitude something that is very instructive. If you look at verse 11, he says... And 12, uh, verse 10, he says, And after he called the multitudes to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. In other words, pay very close attention to what I'm about to tell you. Now, we've seen that Jesus in, on several occasions have said, has used a phrase that is very popular. He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's what he's saying here. But he says, I want you to hear, and then I want you to understand very carefully what I'm about to tell you. 
So that what Jesus is about to say, Jesus considers of utmost importance. So he's saying, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. So what did he tell the multitudes? It's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man. It's what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. One of the greatest things that you and I can ever learn from God is this. It's what God considers of central importance to him. That's why Jesus says, hear and understand what I'm about to say. The Bible says, um, well, let's, let's phrase it this way. It's all about the heart. When the, the Bible does distinguish between the mind and the heart, it does make some distinctions. But then at the same time, it basically essentially equates them to being about the same. So while making this a distinction, it also basically says they're the same. And here's what I mean by that. For example, Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Well, how do you think with your heart? <laughs> I mean, we, we, see, we have this idea uh, about the heart, but it says, As a man thinks in his heart. That's showing right there is that there's this close connection between the, the heart and the mind, it's, it's hard to distinguish them, but the Bible does distinguish it at times for, for further emphasis. The heart in Scripture reflects the essence of man. The heart reflects the essence of man. Now we realize that, as the Scripture teaches us that, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, which says this. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Watch over your heart. Out of it comes everything that is of great value in life. Out of it flows the springs of life of the heart. So watch over your heart. But you say in, in saying watch over your heart, the Bible could also equally say watch over how you think. Because as a man, as we just said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So <clears throat> what the scripture maintains is this. The way we think is the way is who we really are. And the way we're going to see the, the condition of our heart or the condition of our mind will dictate the choices that we make in life. And so what we see here, while we can, uh, <clears throat> what Jesus is driving at is that the heart is of the utmost importance to God. It's not so much what you say. However, what you say does bring out the real condition of the heart. That's what Jesus is driving at as well. To show the centrality of the heart being the essence of man's being. Uh, when God, for example, when, when God had rejected Saul as king over Israel, what Saul did, I mean, what God did, and remember Saul disobeyed the Lord and uh, he performed uh, well he didn't follow the instructions that Samuel gave him and then he took upon himself the role of a priest when he should not that was not his role as a king and it just revealed the heart of Saul well God will reject Saul and then uh, he reveals to Samuel that he's going to raise it up through the sons uh, of son of Jesse. So we see in 1 Samuel 16, Jesse uh, has multitudes of has various 
sons, and he's parading them through before Samuel. One of them, he, we're told, he brings before Samuel, and God speaks to Samuel, saying, when Jesse thought, well, surely this is going to be the new king, here's what God said, which is very important, and this is the context in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. We see where it says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesse thought one of his sons was surely the new king. And God says, no, I've rejected him. You might think he's impressive. We are told that one reason Saul was selected was because he was uh, physically taller than everyone else. He was more of an impressive physical feature. Uh, but God will eventually reject him. So all these sons are taken, come before Samuel. And Jesse's not thinking of David. Not thinking of the, the boy, the shepherd boy. Surely this is not the one. Oh, yeah, this is one. All along we say, and then, and then we recognize this, do we not? Where it says the Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. In that great instance there, and uh, that chapter right after 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 17, has that great instance where the Philistines are gathered to fight Israel, and Goliath comes out taunting Israel, and Saul's not even willing to go out and fight him. No one's willing to go out and fight him. And then Shep, uh, David happens to be brought up, and he wonders, what's the problem here? And he hears this Goliath speak, and he says, someone needs to shut it I'm paraphrasing here, right? <laughs> someone needs to shut this man's mouth. I mean, he's insulting God. If you're not going to do it, I'll do it. Who is this that's toning the armies of God? And then... Goliath is insulted. You're going to send a boy out to fight me? A boy? This is insulting. Well, the boy will take him down, as you know, very fast. But David, David demonstrated, of course, yeah, he was the Lord's anointed. When everybody else was afraid, David wasn't afraid, was he? He wasn't. And he was out for the honor of God. He says, someone needs to preserve the honor of God. If no one else will do it, I'll do it. Well, that revealed the heart of David. That's why, even through David's whole life, even when we understand what God said to Solomon afterwards, even despite David's terrible sins that he commits, you know what God's assessment of David after the fact was? He tells Solomon, when Solomon gets into trouble with the Lord, he says, you know, Solomon, your heart is not right with me as your father David was. God said he was the man after God's own heart. That's why the scripture reveals it. David's heart was right. And therefore, his heart is revealed in his actions. But the whole point is that what God was stressing then in the Old Testament, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And that's what Jesus is trying to convey to the multitudes about the scribes and the Pharisees. It's all about the heart. It's not what goes into a man. It's not what you eat that defiles a person. It's what is in the heart that defiles. And what's in the heart will come out in the speech. And so... There we have one of the great truths of the scripture. The Lord looks at the heart, not at the externals. Not at the externals. You know, people can fool us by their externalism for a while. But you can't ever fool God, can you? Because God knows the heart. God knows the thoughts. God, God says he even knows the thoughts before we speak them. That's incredible when you think about Psalm 139. God knows our thoughts before we even say them. That's how intimate God's with us. We can never fool God. Men can act so pious, so religious before others, but in their heart they're hypocrites, and God knows it. 
This was the case with the Pharisees and the scribes. They emphasized what? External ceremonial ritual. That wasn't even the law of God, but human tradition. And this was of vital, central importance to them. That's what was important to them. And that's why Jesus is appalled with them. So that's what's important to you. Ceremonial ritual hand cutting, that's what's important to you. While you teach people convenient, clever ways not to take care of your parents who are in need. You're a hypocrite. Yeah, you, you, you tout yourself as being the leaders of the people spiritually, and that is what you're saying. That's, that's the condition in your heart. You're only telling the people. You're only telling the people what the condition of your heart is. And the reason you tell people these clever ways to set aside providing for the parents when they're in need and honoring the fifth commandment is because your heart's not right with God. Otherwise, you never would say such a thing. You would never teach such a thing. So what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 15, 11, following Jesus was teaching the crowd, it's not external things that are of the great importance to God. Now this, this whole section, verses 15 through 20, Jesus is teaching this very important truth that we've been uh, elaborating upon. Namely, that what we speak about flows out of the condition of our hearts. While it is true that only God sees the hearts of men in the ultimate sense, Jesus did say that God give, I mean that men give away what they're really like by how they talk. So the, the, the reality is this. People are expressing to others who they really are by what they talk about. The, the, the situation here, the, that's what the Pharisees and scribes are doing. What they were teaching only revealed the condition of their heart. And Jesus says, their mouth is speaking from a heart that is not yielded to the Lord. In this regard, Jesus is telling us that our mouth reveals our heart. Now, by criticizing Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were teaching the people, or they were, they were concerned about human tradition. Remember, it's not God's law that required the washing of the hands before a meal. It was a teaching of the rabbis, passed down through the centuries. They showed their heart. They showed they were more concerned about teaching that as doctrine, and thereby, what did they do, Jesus said? He said they invalidated the word of God. They made it of no value, in other words. And so there are convenient, clever ways to set aside the fifth fifth commandment of honor your father and your mother by supposedly claiming that the gift was dedicated to the Lord. You know, our modern counterpart would be be, uh, some parents in need and uh, someone say, well, you know, I've already pledged the money to give to the church on Sunday. I'm sorry, you're going to have your power turned off, Dad. But after all, I've got to give the money to the church. That'd be a modern counterpart. There are multitudes of ways we could apply this. And so what we see here is by saying these things to the people, the Pharisees and the scribes are really revealing the true uh, nature of the heart, the sinful proclivity of the heart. Jesus said they were hypocrites. They say one thing with their lips, but their heart is far from God. Uh, Now, if you notice verse 20 of our text in Matthew 15, you see how Jesus is tying all of this in to the whole incident. 
Now, why did Jesus say it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of his heart? Well, Jesus says, these are the things which defile the man. Talking about the evil thought, verse 19, the evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, faults, witness, slanders. Those are the things that defile the man. But he says, but to eat with unwashed hands, they don't defile a man. So just like that, Jesus dismisses the whole concern of the Pharisees and the scribes. Their whole emphasis, he says, is ridiculous. They think men are defiled before God. They're less holy. And Jesus says, it has nothing to do with holiness before God. You've missed the whole point. Completely, he says. You think men are defiled this way. They're not. But the heart, what comes out, the way we speak, that's the real issue. And so the, <clears throat> you see the problem with the Pharisees and the scribes is not some isolate, isolated point. It is a major, major theological, spiritual point that you and I must never forget. Men want to think that pleasing God oftentimes is all wrapped up in external things. There's two ways you can emphasize external things. One, you can be emphasizing the externals of things that God's law actually prescribes and still miss the point by emphasizing that above the heart. But in this case... You can emphasize external things that are not the law of God, but human traditions. Which was the case right here. The washing of the hands ceremonially. And so they think they are pleasing God, and God says, no. Jesus says, no, you're not pleasing God at all. So in reality, God says he's really even more angry with them. See, what's upsetting to the Lord? Of course, you know, when we talk about God being angry, the Scripture talks about the anger of God. That's a, that's a <clears throat> figure of speech. God doesn't have a body like us, but God condescends to us in such a way, attributing human qualities to himself in order for us to understand. So, in other words, God says, I am very angry when men try to worship me with external means and their heart's not engaged. That is upsetting, God says. So, and the reality is this. God sees through all the smoke screens that people throw up, all the excuses that men will give why they are not obedient to the Lord. And, and all along, God sees through all the excuses and he sees right into the heart. He says, I know what you're really thinking. I know what you're valuing, and it's not good. So while men may think they can hide the real condition of their hearts, uh, <clears throat> they do give them give it away in this, in this manner. Turn with me. And this is very similar to what in Luke, what Jesus has been talking about in Matthew. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Look at verses 43-45. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For the mouth, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Well, how more clear can Jesus be? The mouth speaks from what fills the heart. I've said this in the past. You can learn a lot about a person by simply listening to how they talk and what they talk about. 
You know, that goes to, to say, it, it brings out the Proverbs in, in a special way, because what do the Proverbs say is one of the traits of a wise person? They like to listen more than they like to talk. <laughs> it says the wise man is, uh, is very selective in what he speaks. And therefore, <clears throat> by just listening and being attentive, you learn a lot about people. Uh, <clears throat> here's what you learn. You learn what a person's values are by listening to what they talk about. You learn what their attitudes are about a lot of things, by what they talk about. Um, you learn what they are thinking because a person speaks from what fills their heart. A preacher once said in a joking way, well, how do I know what I'm thinking unless I'm talking? <laughs> there is a certain element of truth there. <clears throat> but our talk reveals our thought process. So you learn something about the core values of people, their attitudes about life, uh, the things that are of most importance to them. You can detect a bitter heart, can you not, by the trash. I'm going to put it in the modern vernacular. The trash talker, in other words, the gossiper. That's the that's modern term. The trash talker, the person who likes to, to run someone down behind their back, or they can do it before others. Well, what do you learn about them? You learn more about the person who is doing the trash talking than you about the other person. You know that, well, there's evidently a bitterness there with this person. Why, why would they engage in this unless there's some bitterness that they're harboring, that they would see the need to denigrate the personality of someone else. You can detect a lustful heart by the crude jokes that men tell on the job. I remember when I was in Texas, I, I think I told you I played tennis with a bunch of these men on Saturday mornings just as a means to get to know people. Well, they, they all knew I was a preacher, but there was one guy that liked to tell crude jokes. When you ever tell a crude joke, I just get up, walk away, and after, you know, months, I got to be really good friends with these, and one time he was starting off on a crude joke, and he saw me get up and walk out the corner and said, John, John, it's all right, I'm not really going to sleep a whole lot here. <laughs> and so, but it was... They, they were, it revealed his heart. I mean, those who like to tell those kinds of stories are telling something about their heart, the loss that's in their hearts, for them to think it's humorous to tell those kinds of jokes. You know, one of the things that Christians and others are disturbed about these days is the fact that the government, the government monitors Facebook. I guess you're aware of that, aren't you? I mean, employers monitor Facebook and they fire people over things set up on Facebook. And it's no surprise that there's an agency that monitors Facebook because uh, they're going to be looking for people that say a bunch of things about the government or about the leaders. I mean, we really do have to be careful. And to think that someone's not paying attention, we're being naive. And uh, so what, what they're doing, they're looking. What, what would they be looking for? Attitudes. I read something the other day. Now, I agreed with what the person say, said about the intrusion of the government into our lives in a way that really was a violation of the Fourth Amendment. But they made a comment, you know, someday we may need to take up guns. And I thought, I'll tell you one thing, that person will be tagged in a moment. If someone talks about guns and defending their rights, you know someone is going to be watching that person. Because it could be that person who decides to take matters into their own hands and do something. So, 
So they're looking, well, what, what's, what are they looking for, these monitors? They're looking for attitudes. Attitudes that may very well likely lead to a behavior pattern. And what? Guess what? They're right. A lot of attitudes. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody expresses an attitude about tyranny is necessarily going to go out and want to overthrow the government. But remember, the heart, I mean, our mouth speaks from what fills our heart. And if people are upset enough, they just might do it. Now, that doesn't mean that we should never say anything, but we need to be aware that uh, our, our, our mouth does reveal our hearts. We need to be aware that others are probably paying attention. Now, of course, John the Baptist, he was saying some hard stuff, wasn't he, about Herod? Deservingly so. I mean, actually, here's a case where John, <clears throat> I'm sure John understood the implications uh, when he took on King Herod to say something. Because, I mean, you always have to be careful about people who have the power to hurt you. But John the Baptist being the preacher, as Jesus said, there was no greater man born of woman than John the Baptist. It did reveal the heart of John the Baptist. He said to Herod, you have, he says, what you're doing, Herod, you have committed sin by marrying your brother's wife. I'm holding you accountable to the law of God. Now, preachers, in certain instances, we have to do that kind of thing, even knowing that it could bring certain reprisals against us. John called out, rightly so, King Herod's accountability before the living God. So, but the, what I'm saying ultimately is, most of us, we need to watch carefully what we say. Remember, James is the one who says, the tongue is a very small thing. It's like a rudder on the ship. That little, that little thing in the back of the ship. But he says it actually directs the ship. This little small thing directs the ship wherever it goes. And it says the tongue may be a small thing, but it can set a forest on fire. So watch out for what you speak, James says. People's words have significant impacts upon other people. And you know how wise men come to be known as wise, don't you? They speak wisdom. When a wise man speaks, you know, the Bible says he who restrains his lips is wise. So when they finally speak, you go, I think you may have something important to say. He doesn't say a lot. So when he's about to say, he wants to say something, we ought to pay attention. The wise man speaks from a heart that has been yielded or molded by God. And therefore, he, he speaks from a heart that has been trained by the Word of God, so that when he speaks, he's got something important to say. You know, over the years of being in Christian ministry, I can detect when God has really been working on someone in a very positive sense. You know how that is... Their, their whole speech changes, what they talk about. Again, what does the scripture say? It says that a man, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The mouth reveals the nature of the heart. So here's a good, I'll give you a good biblical example of this in a negative way. Turn with me uh, to Acts chapter 8. And let's look at verses 14 to 24. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. 
But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I hear you have Simon the Magician. He says, I want this gift, and I'll pay you some money for it. And he was speaking. Well, in his speaking, he was revealing the true condition of his heart. And God enabled Peter, I think in a special way, to see the heart of Simon and realize, because when Peter says, this is inspired scripture, he says, Simon, you have no part in this matter. For I can detect you are still in the bondage to sin by the fact you would even want to purchase a gift of God with money. I think you saw other things to it. Now we know, I believe that Simon the Magician, I think he was, um, we don't, we're not told exactly, several ways to, to look about it. I think he was probably a gifted illusionist of his time. Now, there are some that can perform miraculous, uh, seemingly amazing things through the power of the evil one. We're not told that specifically. I think he was an illusionist. And you know, illusionists often know the tricks of the trade. And when he, when he realized what was happening and the Holy Spirit coming down was no trick. And that's why he said, look, I want this. By the way, history records Simon, the magician, as being a leader of the godless philosophy of Gnosticism in the early church. So, God enabled Peter to see the real condition of Simon's heart. And what did he do? He spoke that which filled his heart, but his heart was still in bondage. You know, the scripture tells us, don't be a hypocrite by saying one thing with our lips while our hearts are actually engaged in not seeking to be obedient. We, don't, we must not play games with God. We can fool some other people for a time, but we can't ever fool God. And Jesus told the multitudes, he said, I want you to hear and understand what I'm about to tell you. It's not what goes into someone. It's not the washing of hands that defile people. It's your heart that defiles you. It's because your heart's not yielded to God. That's the problem. Don't place a value, a premium on externals, Jesus says. Especially human traditions of all things. In other words, desire a heart that is yielded to the commandments of God. That's what the Lord's looking for. You know, we're to be like David. Remember we said that the Bible says that the Bible calls David the man after God's own heart. Now here's an example why David is said to be a man after God's own heart. Psalm 119, verses 111 and verses 112. Let me read it to you. Psalm 119, 111 and 112 reads... I have inherited thy testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statues forever, even to the end. Now that's why David said to be the man after God's own heart. He loved the law of God. He loved the word of God. They are what treasures. It, it was David who says his, God's words are like honeycomb to him. It's better than eating honey. He treasures it that, that much. You see, the more that you and I read the Bible, the more that we meditate upon the Bible, the more our heart will be transformed by the Spirit of God into a godly man and a godly woman. 
the more we read and meditate on the scriptures. With a heart that says, I want to learn. I'm not just reading it just to have a devotion. Say, yeah, my devotion today. But the heart wasn't engaged. That's not impressive to God. Again, it's not the ritual that impresses the Lord. It's the contrite heart. It's a desire to be transformed by the Word of God. That's what impresses the Lord. See, the more your heart is governed by the Word of God, the more your godliness will be evident before other people. Now, why is that? Because the mouth speaks from what fills the heart. And people will see it. And they'll notice. That's why people can notice the um, when someone comes to Christ. Oftentimes, the most conspicuous thing about some people that come to Christ who were walking in darkness is their whole language shifts immediately. And someone says, something's happened. Something has happened to this person. So... <clears throat> And remember, we all, all along, we give away the level of our maturity, spiritual maturity, by our speech. Now, I haven't mentioned this much at all in the message so far, and I'm just going to touch on it as we end here, is that we need to learn the, the, the correlation between the heart and the human will. The, the decision-making part of man. This is why Jesus says, in other words, well, <clears throat> Jesus said, remember I read in Luke passage, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. See, the bringing forth is an action of the will. They're doing something. Meaning they're, they're, the fruit means some action that they have done that is uh, in obedience to the Word of God. So he says, the good man will bring forth what is in his good heart. And contrary to that, he says, the evil man will bring forth evil choices out of his evil heart. He says that's how you tell a tree, a good tree from a bad tree, by just looking at the fruit, looking at the actions of the will. You see, the will, which is the choice entity of the human being, is always contingent or always related to the condition of the heart. This is, this is why, that's why Jesus said what he did. So the bringing forth of actions is the act of the will. Now let me show you this. There, the, the promise in the Old Covenant, I do want us to turn to Ezekiel 36. We have looked at this passage numerous times, but it's so important because it's one of the promises of the New Covenant in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 27. For I will take from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So here's what we've got to ask ourselves all along. Have I truly been transformed by the Spirit of God so that my heart yearns after the commandments of God and is my heart teachable to the Word of God? And you see, when God goes to work on a person, the Holy Spirit is there, and the Holy Spirit enables them 
to be obedient to God's commandments. So, as a man thinks, so is he. The Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. We speak from that which fills our heart. You know, there's a great passage uh, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that says this. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know that word transform there, the Greek word is metamorphi. It's the word that we, the English word metamorphosis is derived from. It's that great transformation, because I like to collect, I told you, butterflies and moths. And when you see an ugly, I call a caterpillar kind of ugly, and when you see that caterpillar spin a cocoon or a chrysalis, and then within a few weeks, maybe six weeks, I don't know what process, you realize that the whole organism dissolves into a gel. It's dissolved into a gel. And then it reconstitutes itself, and what emerges is a creature that if you had not known the relationship, you said there's no way that this thing that comes out with wings that is beautiful in color was anyway at one time related to this creature. But it went through a metamorphosis. It was transformed. God says the Spirit of God can take a heart of stone. It can take a heart filled with adulteries, murders, thefts, slander, and all that, and it can change it just like that to a heart of flesh that yearns to be obedient to the commandments of God. It's all about the heart. All about the heart. So Jesus says, don't emphasize externals. Be concerned about the heart. That's what's important to the Lord. That's right.